Hey, well, welcome everybody to this week's Matrixic discussion group call here for Tactical Sovereignty. This beautiful Sunday, 14th of April. And I uh, just want to start the recording up and wait for some other people to come on. And we have to come on via computer or whatever. They know that they've linked in. Otherwise, they don't realize that they've connected. So I'll catch you in a minute. Raise the animals in a way that's not only humane to the animals, but that doesn't increase the climate crisis. We should reduce the amount of meat that we consume in our diets. Um, it's good for our health. It's good for the environment. And frankly, if the whole world, as it as the as the rest of the world increasingly eats like us, if the whole world chooses to eat as much meat as we eat, it's there's really not much chance that we will reverse the, the climate crisis. Again, we could do everything right on energy and our transportation, but if everyone's eating as much meat as Americans and the Brits and the Europeans are, it's hard to imagine how we actually kind of, you know, start to move things in the right direction. Well, that's a lot on our plate. Amazing to hear some of the propaganda. Bodily and planetary health. Foods we choose can be a delicious way to do both. Editorial assistance from Andrew Andresco, Maggie Mantis, Ken Rogers, David Cruz, and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Bob. Our program is presented by Human Media. Program support provided by Shark Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website, where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. <coughs> and you can subscribe to our new CD. Everybody's line is open. Everybody has a hot mic as they come on, as I try to usually do, until we get rolling here. It's about 8.59 here, so we've got about another minute or so. Join us for more true stories told live. This week, the immigrant experience. That's on the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. 
coming up next on WGCU, NPR for Southwest Florida. You're listening to WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, Sarasota, 90.1 FM, WMKO, Marco Island, 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida. Kind of funny listening to the propaganda on NPR here. We just got another matter of soap for people to come on. Next up, the Moth Radio Hour. I'm Meg Bowles, and in this hour, we'll hear about a musical adventure, a Detroit firefighter's search and rescue mission, and one woman's childhood memories of surviving the genocide. I had been told by my mother that the whole thing would be pretending. It would just be temporary. I had to pretend that I was the Sankevich's daughter. I would have two sisters. I would call them Mama and Papa. But as soon as the war would be over, my parents would come and take me back. That story and more coming up on the Moth Radio Hour from PRX right after this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is wrapping up a four-country South American trip designed to ramp up pressure on Venezuela's authoritarian leader, Nicolas Maduro. After stopovers in Chile, Paraguay, and Peru, Pompeo toured Colombia's border with Venezuela. Reporter John Otis has more. In the sweltering Colombian town of Cucuta, Pompeo peered across a border bridge guarded by Venezuelan troops. He also met with Venezuelan refugees. Some three and a half million Venezuelans have fled in recent years to escape political repression and food shortages back home. The crisis has prompted the U.S. and numerous Latin American countries to push for Maduro's ouster. They recognize opposition leader Juan Guaido as Venezuela's legitimate head of state. So far, however, Maduro remains firmly in power, thanks largely to the backing of the Venezuelan armed forces. For NPR News, I'm John Otis. The armed forces in Venezuela are actually the people. Severe storm, some with tornadoes. Maybe if Guaido had run for office, he uh, would have had a chance. National Weather Service bother running though. Amazing. Damaging winds, hail, and heavy rain is heading east. Anyway, I guess we can get into topic this evening. Mm -hmm. Give me a second here, guys. All right, so one info I wanted to cover this evening on uh, this group call for tactical sovereignty is essentially looking back 
in time what's happened um, kind of around the world to comprehend what we're seeing today, what's happening today, and and what's really running things today, and uh, maybe their ultimate plan to it as well. And uh, probably going to take a little bit of um, connecting the dots on your own because I'm going to try and cover a few hundred years of Western history in a very, very short amount of time here. All right. But at the same time, a lot of the names and, and things that I brought up, um, keep those names in mind because they're names that we hear today and we use today. And a lot of this, I mean, it really stems uh, going back to the Vatican, going back to the times of uh, Inquisition and the purposes behind the Inquisition. And a lot of people like to point at the Christians and say, oh, the Christians, you're murderers, da-da-da, look at what happened during the Inquisition. Well, that may have been done through the Jesuits, through the Society of Jesus, but they were actually just kind of a military arm of the Vatican, which claims Christian. And uh, we all know, really, if you do any kind of looking into it or research, they're very, very far from that. They do not follow the teachings of the Christ. And at the same time, we see these little kinds of things playing out today, uh, whether people are having problems with CPS or whatever. These are all trickle-down effects of really the bigger picture. Um, the Templars, really, through the Inquisition, is uh, 1307, uh, through Clement and, and the Pope, King Philip, uh, these were all used because... These guys had come back from uh, Jerusalem. They had come back from Jerusalem with a, a lot of wealth. And when I say wealth, I don't mean just money, but a lot of knowledge. All right? And they had stole a lot of this stuff, and they were hiding it even from the Vatican, which I don't know how much of it the Vatican has absconded today and is down in their tunnels, miles and miles of tunnels underneath the Vatican, but the majority of it is still being held in Scotland. Um Scotland had been excommunicated by the Vatican much prior. And, that, you know, to them, I guess it just really didn't matter. They didn't care. And so uh, the Jesuits really found kind of a home there. I mean, they had been kicked out of everywhere else. Um, and then along came... Um, King Arthur and, and the Knights of the Round Table. Remember, there's the 12 Knights of the Round Table. You know, 12 Knights, 12, does that sound familiar? Um, 12 is a pretty popular number with a lot of things. And it, a lot of people think that the stories in the history of King Arthur were just um, tales, maybe children's stories, things like that, because they have a hard time really finding information on it. But if they go into... Um, really some of the archives of, say, uh, the Chronicles of Camelot, um, information held in Scotland, Ireland, that, that's really where this information is held at. Uh, King Arthur uh, was born in 1559 and lived till uh, 603, which to me was amazing. Which would have, he was only 42 years old uh, when he died. I'm thinking, wow, you know. By the time people attain the age of 42 years old, how much have they accomplished, you know? And 
he has accomplished an abundant amount of things. Um, his father, in fact, was uh, King Aiden. If anybody wants to look up King Aiden, um, and that was lineage that he had come down through. And what was really being propagated at this time, and what the people were following, they were really kind of following bloodlines. And it was kind of this idea of the bloodline of Mary. This is where uh, the divine rights of kings comes in. This is where um, the kings or the queens of different countries, England, whatever, feel like that they have authority yet because they feel like they have followed their that bloodline and that their bloodline really comes from King David. And this is something kind of important to pay attention to. Remember listening to uh, Lorraine Murray a few times. She was a professor at UC Berkeley. And she was looking at the migration of people, how they had moved around the world, where they started at, you know, where they had ended up, where they infiltrated into. And one of the reasons I was looking into it is because I'm blonde hair, blue eyed. And the first part of that that I really noticed was, was that. They claimed it came from the Mesopotamian area, the, the Iraqi area. And in fact, that's where like a lot of the stories from Moses in the Old Testament comes from, comes from Mesopotamia, comes from the Iraq area. And what they were saying in a lot of the articles that I read was that the blonde hair, blue eyes, or the red hair, um, or the ginger look, if some people call it that, um, what they, they called it an anomaly. Um, a, a genetic anomaly. And I thought, okay, that's weird. I guess if they don't want to tell you the truth, or maybe they don't know, but in this case, I think they don't want to tell you the truth, then what they do is they call it an anomaly, you know, just to kind of make it very vague and, very vague, and then they move forward from there. And the people from that area, uh, and we know Babylon is right near there as well. It's actually Iran. Um, the U.S. Embassy, which is the largest embassy in the world, this place is massive. It's even hard to get a photo of it. it. Is I think about 10 miles down the road from where the supposed Tower of Babel was at. And the people from there, when they left, had migrated to different parts of the world. A lot of them migrated to Italy. I know northern Italy is predominantly blonde hair, even though people, when they think Italian, they think dark hair, you know. But in northern Italy, you're going to find a lot more bond-headed people. A lot of them migrated also to Ireland and to the Netherlands, uh, migrated to um, Scotland. <clears throat> like I said, now you're going back to where the Jesuits were kind of finding a home base at and, and hiding their treasures at. And then a lot of them from there migrated back, started migrating into the U.S., um, maybe due to the so-called potato famine, which was something that was purposely caused on them to kind of try and starve them out. But it's like, what were they trying to starve out? They were really trying to starve out a race of people. Why is that? Um, you know, they're, they're trying maybe to push out this anomaly that had occurred genetically. It's a very strong possibility. I, I think, in my mind... It, and one of the things that I've come across has kind of backed up what I thought all along in the past was, you know, one of the reasons why the Europeans came into uh, Northern America and pushed out the Indians was 
really not just because they wanted the land or anything, but it was also a defeat of um, a possible migration of one of the tribes of Israel or several of the tribes of Israel that had come here. And I think the Mormons even believe something along those lines as well. Uh, what's interesting is we know and we hear like through MK Ultra programs and things like that, that, you know, they're always um, breeding people for certain reasons and things like that. And that's the same way that they did through the bloodlines of the kings and the queens was trying to preserve this bloodline. And so a king had to come from the maternal side. And I thought it was really interesting when you look at that, because in Judaism, originally, when they looked at um, who was a Jew and how you were a Jew, it was through the mother's bloodline. And I was listening to um, an interview with a rabbi well, several years ago, and he was asked this question. And it seemed like they, they've kind of changed. They've kind of migrated their line of thought. I don't know if it's to become more inclusive or whatever. But as far as who and what is not, say, from a, a Judaism, it's saying, well, you know, first, yeah, it was the mother's bloodline. And then it's those that follow the teachings of Judaism. And then from there, it even got into a looser interpretation. But though, really, I think at the heart of it, those that are kind of in the know, they know who's in the bloodline and who really isn't. And so these kings had to come from the maternal bloodline. And people think, ooh, you know, they're marrying, you know, their first cousin or preferably they're marrying a sister. Uh, it was always really the direct sister. It was almost always a half-sister which meant it was their mother's daughter, but by a different father. And so now you're getting into even more sick and twisted stuff, in my viewpoint. Um, but then moving along, I guess I just wanted to give, like, really briefly over this, a brief overview on this. Um, let's say, though, also in this uh, practice of the breeding, um, Names were also used, that way things could be tracked, and who was supposed to be used for what. Um, the name Mary is very popular. Uh, Marys uh, were born uh, to marry kings. Those were supposed to be the wife of a king, and then maybe a future queen, Queen Mary, for instance. Um, Elizabeth was a name that was chose for people that were supposed to uh, marry bishops and continue the line that way. Um, Lily... Uh, Lillian, or which comes from Lilith, um, those were supposed to go and be part of the priestly line. I mean, it's, yeah, the priests did have wives. They did have their own consorts, believe it or not. And these originally all really sprouted down from um, what they were trying to do, what they were trying to accomplish with the kings and with kingship and preserving the kingship. The kingship really comes from the word Cainship. It comes from Cain, um, which was an idea passed on by, I guess you would, you would say, the Lord. And I found it kind of interesting when I went to look up the Lord online. Um, it took me to the word Baal. Um, and it's like, okay, that wasn't really what I expected to find. But anyway, the powers that be uh, were very unhappy happy with the direction that the Netherlands and Scotland in particular were taking. 
And so they sent in Augustine to dismantle the Celtic Church um, because St. Columbo had just died. So for them, it was a perfect opportunity. Okay. And what the problem they had was, was that these people were following what you would call the Nazarene way. Okay. Um, they're following the, the way of the vine. Okay. And kind of think bloodline when you hear vine as well. And they're, they're following the Nazarene way. And the idea behind the Nazarene way, it goes to what Yeshua was really trying to teach when he was here on the land. Then the Nazarene way and the rulership, the way it was set up was that the kings weren't set up to dominate the people. They were supposed to hold the land and protect the people. They were really supposed to be a servant of the people. Um, how many times have we heard that statement, our public servants, which we know very well today, they're not our public servants. They're the servants of the overlords, not the people underneath them. And that was the problem that uh, the powers that be, you know, the, the other dynasties and kingdoms on the world had with that area of the world was that their kings weren't set up in the same way. And in fact, it really sprouted up to the Vatican because the Vatican felt like they had the power over the kings. And if they had the power of the kings and the kings had the power of the people, then ultimately they had the power of the people as well. But that wasn't the way it was set up. A lot of these kings actually fell under the title of Stuart. And I think people have probably, if they've studied any history, they've heard about stewards. But by definition, that's what a steward is. It takes care of others. And that really did not make um, the higher powers happy, and that's why they wanted them conquered. And they brought in Augustine in 597 in order to do that. And we're seeing the same situation today, you know. And what was happening, the bishops were wanting more rulership. They were wanting more power. You know, they were power hungry. And it wasn't until I think the late um, 1700s, around 1680 or so, um, the Stuarts had finally tried to make a declaration. Uh, James declared that the people could worship according to their own conscience. Think about that, according to their own conscience. Sounds a lot like self-determination, doesn't it? They, the Stuarts were wanting to give people self-determination. And the church still wasn't having this. And they ultimately um, deposed that office and, and it was replaced with King George. And the funny thing is, though, that King George came from Germany. And King George, being from Germany, he was very limited in his scope of education. And he was actually illiterate. He couldn't read or write English. So they thought, yeah, he was perfect to sit on the throne of England uh, because... There wasn't much he was going to do other than what uh, the Vatican was wanting him to do. And that way, again, the kings could be ruled by the consent of the church and not by the consent of the people. Um, prior to that time as well, King Albert even tried to change this and, and give the authority and the power back to the people. And the people even rose up in support of him, and, and he was pushed out. And at this is the same fight that Yeshua was battling. This is the same problems he was looking at when we read about him 
although the stories, if we read them face value, it doesn't really show it unless you really put on the eyes to see and ears to hear that the scripture talks about. Um, when scripture talks about, you know, Yeshua said, I will make you fishers of men. You have to go back and look at that time. Well, who were fishers? Fishers were actually bishops. They're actually priests. They were there to help the people. That's what he was saying. He, he was going to place them in a position. He was going to set up a kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is here. He was setting them up in a position where they were going to be able to take care of the people. Why the people need to be taken care of? Because at that time, Rome was ruling things much like it is today. Um, here about three weeks ago, if you saw the speech with Benjamin Netanyahu and Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State for the U.S., um, Benjamin Netanyahu came right out and said, he said, the United States is the new Rome. Plain and simple, the United States is the new Rome. They're trying to duplicate, they're trying to imitate things here. It, that the problem that Yeshua and the people were encountering at that time was that even though Rome was in charge, the people that they were in charge of weren't necessarily the, just the Romans. It was Jews, Gentiles, uh, Samaritans, and these people were being repressed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who were controlling the people, and they were controlling the people through the church. The church was doing the controlling for the state. Sound a little bit familiar today? All of the churches today fall under a 501c3 status and are only allowed to talk about or push the agenda of whatever the state wants. If they came out and spoke against the state, their status would get yanked, they would be dismantled, and we've seen a few times actually where pastors have been thrown in jail. And it wasn't under the guise of because of what they were preaching. They would find something else. They would find an IRS issue. 99% of the time, it was always a money issue that they would try and nail them over, even though it was very, very false, whatever accusations were being made. So that's the same fight that's going on today. And today, we have these same Pharisees and Sadducees controlling things, just like, you know, when Yeshua was held in court, you know, Pontius Pilate um, washed his hands of the situation. And so I, I, I see nothing wrong. So, yeah, basically, he didn't really want to be facing any problems himself. And he figured he would just turn it over to somebody else, and he knew that uh, the church would take care of because the, the church was not happy with him because he was giving a different message. He, he was letting people know really where their God existed at. You know, if you ask a little kid today, where's God? They're going to point up in the sky or somewhere. Well, guess what? Guess where God is supposed to be? He's supposed to be inside you. Um, you are supposed to be an operator for him instead of relying on him. You can sit back and rely on him all you, you want, and um, you're going to see very little physical things actually occur. It's actually you that is supposed to have the power through him. He's supposed to be in you. And today, these Pharisees and Sadducees are the judges and the attorneys that you see in court. You know, they've imitated everything. Look at your courtroom and then look at the sanctuary of the church. It's the same exact thing. Um, you've got your altar of showbread, your altar of incense. You've got your choir box or the jury box. It's all the same exact layout. They've just duplicated it. In fact, the priest may, may wear a black robe and you've got the judicial administrator that's vain enough also to wear a black robe at the same time 
think that they don't know what they're doing. Absolutely, they know what they're doing. And in fact, uh, the U.S. has even registered at, at Dun & Bradstreet as a religious organization. Okay, you think there's separation of church and state? Absolutely not. They're one in the same. And that's just the way it works. And so what it really comes down to, like I've said many times, it's deciding who you're going to serve, choosing who you're going to serve. Because if you don't choose, guess what? It'll be chosen for you. And you're not going to like who they pick, promise you, because they're going to assume that you serve them. Why? Because it's happened through tacit consent. You have never spoke up and declared who, what you are and what you're serving and who you're serving. You know, and so many of the things really from Scripture and from the Old Testament can be seen today, even right here in the U.S. Uh, go back to the story of Babylon and the Tower of Babel. Okay, do you really think, I mean, there's so many stories in scripture that it's like, wow, just this miraculous stuff happened. Oh, my God, it's a miracle. You know, now a lot of these things, they're thrown into a script so that you can read it briefly, comprehend it, move on and just accept it by faith. You know what I mean? A lot of the things were done slightly different than what they were said. Names were a little different than what were used, and the timelines were very different as well. With the situation with the Tower of Babel, they didn't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden they didn't understand each other. If you really go into the text, especially some of the old texts, and see what was really being said, it'll tell you that, I mean, in one of their quotes, I think this is actually even a scriptural quote, said, invaders came in from all sides, and we knew not our own language guess what they had lost their language they lost their culture because instead of them all being unified they were invaded by mesopotamians all other people from all different sides had come in and now they made up maybe only 30 or 40 percent of what the total culture was everything had totally changed nobody understood each other none of the people could really work together and what they had wanted to do from the onset you know uh, Sunday school teaches you is that they're going to build a tower and try and reach God and be higher than God. No, what they said is they wanted to build a name for themselves because they saw this happening. They saw people coming in and they said they wanted to build a name for themselves lest they were lost to history. They, they wanted to keep their footprint. They wanted to keep their self-identity. But instead, all these other people were allowed to come in and Guess what? They lost their identity. And you see the same thing potentially happening here in America today or in North America today. Uh, the same thing has happened in uh, England as well. A lot of people from England and Scotland I talk to complain about the same thing, is that people have come in from all these other lands. They've taken the jobs. They've taken the housing that even maybe their poor people needed or could have used because those things are set up totally different over there than they are here. You can actually get a government house, live in there, pay a minimal amount, and over a short amount of time, you end up owning it. Well, what was, what's been done over there now is that people from other lands are coming in, and they're being given the right to the first privilege of those places, while the people of the homeland are being pushed aside. And so the people are finding themselves pretty much in the same exact situation. You know, looking at each other and saying, we, oh, we know not our own language. 
we don't have our culture anymore. And that's actually been a very simple thing for the empire really to do here in America because people really came from all different places and didn't have their own particular culture or uh, their own particular way they lived because so many people had their own ways and thing, ways of doing things, which was great, and everybody got along very well. But we're now really being faced with a time, though, when immigrants are possibly going to be coming in from other areas who, guess what, they're not going to assimilate to what's being done. And, in fact, they're going to retaliate against it. And this is something for people to keep in the back of their mind. Go back and look at the story of Babel and of Babel, what occurred. Uh, look at what has occurred since the 12th and 11th centuries. And don't think of these times as being so, so long ago. Because really, in the overall scheme, the overall picture of things, it really wasn't that long ago. Really, really wasn't. It was just 30 or 40 of our fathers in the past. It does not go back that far. Like we've been told man's time here is, you know, but a grain of sand. And it really is. <clears throat> anyway, that's just what I wanted to share this evening. Um, if anybody had anything to bring up, feel free. Yeah, I wanted to make a, a comment about the, the federal courts. Yeah, who's this? It's Lewis. Hey, Lewis, what's up, brother? Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good, good evening, brother. Um, yeah, I want because you said that the U.S. courts are under the Vatican or under um, the jurisdiction, and um, these U.S. courts are federal courts, and in federal courts, because I got this from my, I think it was Phil Collins that only in the federal courts that it starts off as a regular federal court and what you ask for is remedy. Now, if they don't want to give you the remedy, they'll stop for recess. And in the scheme of things, what it looked like they're doing, they're just taking a recess, but in reality, they're switching over to admiralty time. So that means when the judge comes back, it's a totally different court. Now, when, when people still ask for their remedy, not knowing, and they don't get it, They'll probably get hit with a fine or something or whatever the case may be because what they're supposed to ask for, it goes over to admiralty law. So what you ask for is cure and maintenance. And the judge will look at you like you're crazy because they know what they're doing. So they can't go because when they go for a third time, a second recess, they're going to come back as a priest of the Vatican, and that's when they're under canon law. And if they lose at the third round, on the third, after they take the second recess, it's done for them. They will be a judge no more. So for the most part, they'll give you your cure and maintenance in the second. After the second, it becomes admiralty law. Because if they lose under canon law on, on the third come around, that's it. They have to resign, and they, and, and they can't because they're going underneath has the Pope, has a high priest for the Pope on the Vatican and the canon law. So if they lose on the canon law, if you tell them to obey the canons and, you know, recite whatever canon it is, that's it. It's done for. So a lot of people don't know that. But once you ask for the cure and maintenance, and there is a green light, you got your, 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 um, your remedy in court. It just switches over, and a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, well, that third time they come back, and they're coming back under, you know, canon, and they're coming back really as ecclesiastical court. You know, they're coming back really under that umbrella of the Vatican again. Because that's, that's where all the canons come from. I remember uh, saying not too long ago in court, 
where a judge wanted to make a ruling. And an attorney was saying, no. He said, according to your code and statute for the court right here, it says this and this must be done. You're not following that. And she turned to the prosecutor and said, have you ever seen me use that in my court? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's she doing trying to get the prosecutor to back her up? But uh, the defense attorney kept saying, said, no, I, and I think it was like three times. He said, no, we have to follow the code and statute to this period. And she said, hold on. She got up, left, went back to her chambers for about five minutes and then came back out. Totally with a change of heart, said, yep, we're going to follow that. Come back in a month. And so to me, it was like, oh, wow, it's like she was trying to switch from her administrative role you know, with the administrative court, you know, back into now becoming an actual judge following the codes and statutes. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of funny to see her leave and come back and change. Uh, if you had anything else you want to add to that or anybody else has anything, feel free. Uh, somebody brought something up in chat. Let me check on that, see if there was a question there or anything. Well, I guess it was just somebody in the beginning wanting to know what the topic was going to be. All right. Um, but it, I think if we look at what's happened over time with the church really trying to push um, this female bloodline and, and, and push the rulership of kings that were following the female bloodline, in these different nations, Scotland, England, where it may be, that you really see what the agenda was there. I think it's very interesting if you look at, say, Western religion, for instance. Uh, Western religion is supposedly the, the Protestant religion, and which I think is kind of crazy. Okay, you're protesting the Catholic Church or the Vatican or whatever. Protest away, protest all you want. Guess what? They still continue. They still look at you as a sister church. You know, um, it really shouldn't have been the Protestant church. Maybe it should have been the Separatist church. <laughs> Although I think it did start out as like a separatist movement, but that's not really where they ended up. And in fact, if you look at statements here not long ago by Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland is even falling under this ecumenical idea of all the churches coming back together. Hey, he made the statement, oh, it's been five, six hundred years. We've been protesting. You know, it, it's time for all of us just to be one. And it's like, hold on. Wait a second here. Because the agenda of the Vatican isn't necessarily the agenda that we all have. People don't realize that. But you, you look at what's been done that way as far as trying to rule nations and look at what's happening to families today as well as far as splitting up the mothers and fathers and trying to take all the authority and power over the family away from the actual family itself and keep it within the state. And it's the same exact situation. And even in situations where once the mother is awarded the child, then the state still steps in with whatever reason and says, Oh, uh, you can't take care of the kid well enough. You don't make whatever and, and take the child away from the mother. Then it's the whole divide and conquer. The whole Hegelian dialectic being played out right before our eyes. But this has been played out on a large scale, on national scale, international scale. And that's what I really wanted to show. And hopefully people could see that. 
is that the little things that are happening in your life today, this has really been done over time nationwide. And when we realize that and see how it was done and what was done, it makes a lot more sense as to what's happening now and why it's happening because a lot of people find themselves very confused today. Well, we've only been on for about 35 minutes or so, but that's all right. Um, I do have one thing to say if you have, uh, if you have time. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. I do apologize. What are your um, takes on um, being an ordained minister for a free church? I heard that that falls outside of the scope and jurisdiction of the state. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And in fact, that's uh, something that I did as well. Um, and what I was looking at was this. And because, like I said earlier, you know, if you don't choose who you're going to serve, then they're going to choose for you, you know. And um, what I looked at was first, in reading the Labor Code, that really explains to you a lot of what's happening today and how it's happening and why they're able to get away and how they get away with what they're doing. Because it's still in full force. It was only supposed to be taken away according to uh, the dictate, I believe, of a vote or of the president, which never occurred. Uh, they got rid of, in fact, I think it was a win-win for the empire to get rid of Lincoln because that way he could not nullify the Labor Code. But under Article 53 of the Labor Code, it says that if the standing army, which I believe are probably the police force today, uh, encounter a group of people and in their midst is a pastor, for instance, an ordained minister, that they're not supposed to be looked at as a POW and are supposed to be free to leave unless they want to stay back and minister to the rest of the people is the basic wording of it. And then also going to the First Amendment. Um, and the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no rule uh, regarding establishment of religion. Okay, well, guess what? You're an establishment. You and your household is an establishment. Um, what does it say in Scripture? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, so I think that being ordained isn't necessarily a position of, oh, I'm going to go start a church and this and that. You are going to start a ministry because you're going to be ministering to everybody around you. And you can go, I went to, and I've, I've seen other people follow the idea, and they just ran out and grabbed whatever, but the, they used an organization that was set up under the IRS as a 501c3 organization. And in fact, that will be the wording in most of their charters. It says it is set up under the IRS as a 501c3. Well, are you or your ministry or what we do here on this planet supposed to be set up under some other organization? or under a man-made construct? No. It's supposed to be set up by our Creator. And so there are places where you can go and get ordained um, without following a 501c3 construct. Um, China, Universal Ministries is the one I used. And you, I know would you be able well. to send me, I'm sorry, would you be able to send me the link to that? Yeah, yeah, just remind me. Or you can go online and just look up Universal Ministries. They're based out of Chicago. Um, some people, one of the first things that will pop up is Universal Life Ministries. Yeah, that's not what you want to use. 
In fact, I think they were originally set up in New York in the uh, Church of Satan at one time. <laughs> they, they've moved since then, but <laughs> that they are a 501c3 organization. So you don't want universal life. You want just universal ministries. They're set up out of universal. Chicago. Universal Ministries are based out of Chicago, all right. Yep. And, you know, I, I found it really interesting. It, it was soon after I had done that, I got pulled over. And um, coming home from work late at night, you know, of course, they expect everybody's coming home from a party or going to a party or coming back from a bar or something like that. And um, I got pulled over. And... I handed the officer both my ID that I, I use and um, my ordination card at the same time. And he, he was like, oh, he said, I only need this one. And he looked at the ordination card. He says, oh, you're an ordained minister? I said, yes, thank you very much. He handed it back to me. He went back to his car, probably just ran my name. He came back probably no more than a minute and a half. Hey, you have a good night. Be safe. That was it. I was like, holy crap, that is the shortest stop I've ever had in my life. Normally, you're like sitting there forever while they're running shit. It's like, what are they doing? Calling people? Hey, you guys looking for, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was like, wow, that was fast. And um, I've had similar incidents since then. So that right there told me, gosh, maybe there is some weight to the line of thinking that I was following. In fact, if you go into Tactical Sovereignty even and just go up to the search bar that searches just the group, um, you can put in Universal Ministries, and I'm sure the link will pop up. I've shared it there for people a few times. Shoot, in fact, by now they should be giving me a kickback. <laughs> and, and it's not much. It's like, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks, something like that. All it is is you making a statement, you putting it on the record who and what you are. Because unfortunately, majority of people haven't done that, and that's why the courts operate under presumption. Because how else are they supposed to operate? Nobody has dictated who and what they are or who they serve. All right, anything else from anybody? Otherwise, we'll call it an evening. And like I always try to say to everybody, you know, it, it's all about finding out who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at. Because we've been deceived on all three of those levels. Most people, if you ask them who they are, they're going to blurt out their name and joke around and say, well, prove it. What are they going to do? They're going to pull out a driver's license and show you. <laughs> Which makes things even funnier. But... When we learn those three things, who you are, where you're really from, and where you're really at, and the things you learn along the way in researching those three topics, uh, a lot of light bulbs will start coming on in your head. All right, everybody. I guess until next Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll catch you later. Uh, otherwise, you can... Go into Tactical Sovereignty, Administrating the Estate on Facebook. Um, jump on some of the chats there and meet up with some like-minded people.
because that's one of the most difficult things today is really connecting with like-minded people people that are on the same journey the same search and hopefully ultimately have the same destination in mind so until next week we'll talk to you all later